بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار سنا او لسن وي بيجن تو لوك ات ذا ايشو اوف ذا صحابه رضي الله عنهم وي منشند هاو ابن تيمي رحمه الله ان ذس بويتري ذات ذا فيرست ميجر ايشو اوف belief that he mentioned after the introduction is the issue of the sahaba and the issue of the sahaba radiyallahu anhum is one of the greatest affairs of our belief and for the reason that the sahaba radiyallahu anhum were the ones who conveyed the religion to us and those who conveyed the religion the veracity or the the soundness of the message is also dependent upon the soundness and the integrity of those who conveyed it to us and if there's any doubt about the integrity then there would be doubt about the actual message and for that reason we mentioned in the previous lesson that the issue of the sahaba is one of the greatest of the affairs of our religion and we see that historically the enemies of islam the enemies of islam that the first issue that they tried to cause problems in was actually to do with the sahaba radiyallahu anhum and to create dissension inshallah we will look at some of that history in a bit more detail in today's lesson inshallah ta'ala but that was uh, what we started last week with the saying of uh, ibn taymiyyah rahmatullah in the poetry in what is ascribed to him hubbu sahaba hubbu so we spoke about love of the Sahaba. All of them is for me a school of doctrine. And in this regard, we gave the definition of a Sahabi. What is a Sahabi? Uh, we mentioned statements from some of the Salaf like At-Tahawi and Imam Al-Sabuni and other than them, outlining in brief the position of Ahlul Sunnah towards the Sahaba. Then we mentioned some evidences from the Quran which indicate the virtue and the excellence of the sahaba their position their great striving their great sacrifices a position that no one after them can ever ever reach because they were the ones who sacrificed from their wealth and from you know from their belongings and possessions and their souls and their bodies to actually spread the message no one else can ever be in in that position and and meet those types of challenges and 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 you know uh, difficulties so then we looked at some a hadith some very important a hadith which also established the virtue of the sahaba and we mentioned from them the hadith which general which in 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 the meaning in general they state that the best of generations is my generation then those who come after them then those who come after them then the hadith if you remember about the messenger being like like he gave the example of the stars that when the stars go and disappear then they will come to uh, the sky that which it has been promised and that the messenger himself is like a if you like like a type of uh, guardian 
for the uh, Sahaba. And when he goes, then they will come to the Sahaba that which they are promised. And likewise, the Sahaba, they are likewise to the Ummah. And when the Sahaba go, they will come to the Ummah that which has been promised. And so again, that's another angle from which we can see the virtue of the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum. We also mentioned the hadith about the prohibition of reviling the Sahaba. Because if one of them was to spend, if one of you was to spend the, uh, the likes of Mount Uhud in gold, wouldn't equal a handful of what they, what they spent. And this hadith is a, is a great and mighty lesson when it comes to the issue of the actions of the heart. And we spoke about this in the previous lesson. How, how can it be that one man from amongst the companions can give a handful of grains? Grains. And if a person living now was to give the likes of Mount Uhud in gold, which I don't believe anyone possesses that wealth on the face of this earth, it wouldn't, it wouldn't equal what that one man from the companions gave. So what's the difference? And the difference comes down to what is in the heart. The actions of the heart. And so we could see that when Abu Bakr, for example, he gives a few dates in charity, that the, what's in the action, what's in the heart of the various emotions and feelings and acts of worship, like sincerity and uh, faith and awe of Allah and all of these different feelings we see that in that there is a mountain of those feelings and that someone who gives a mountain of gold then there's not the like of that in his heart which you know so this shows as we mentioned in, in the previous lesson as well that uh, the, one of the greatest concerns a Muslim has is, is his heart what's in his heart what's going through his heart the, the actions of the heart because that really is the foundation of uh, worship and we also mentioned the hadith in which the messenger said that you will engage in a battle you will go out in a battle and then it will be said is there a man from the companions of Allah's messenger amongst you and it will be said yes then they will be given victory then you will go into battle there will come a time when the people will go into battle and it will be said is there one who accompanied, who is a companion of the companion of the Messenger of Allah. And it will be said, yes. And then they will be given victory. Then a time will come when it will be said, when people go on to a battle. Is there amongst you a man who accompanied a man, who accompanied uh, a man who was a companion of the, the, the Messenger of Allah. And it will be said, yes. And then they will be given victory. Now this shows to you again the virtue of the Tabi'in. Tabi and then the Tabi'een, and then the companions of Allah's Messenger, Sallallahu So these four hadith, look at how from different angles, they illustrate the virtue of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum. In that the presence of the Sahaba means absence of tribulations. The presence of the Sahaba means victory from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Sahaba in the ibadah, look at what a representation they are in terms of the, the, the actions of the hearts. All these things would take great and mighty lessons. But the Shahid from all of these narrations, point of evidence, is that this is why we love the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Right? Because these are texts which are found in the Quran and the Sunnah. Now we mentioned the statement of Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi who said that let's say there hadn't been in the Quran or the Sunnah anything mentioned in praise of the Sahaba. If there hadn't been anything, 
than just me the just merely the facts of history what have come to us about their lofty uh, status and their the fact that they made jihad in the path of Allah and that they spent from their wealth and uh, you know they they, they they gave sincerity to the deen of Allah and all those things that, that have come to us he said that in itself would have been sufficient for their adala for their for, for establishing their integrity so the second issue we moved on to after that after mentioning the virtue of the companions was the adala the integrity of the companions of Allah's messenger sallallahu and then we mentioned some of the statements of the scholars of hadith like ibn al-salah al-hafiz al-iraqi imam al-darimi and others all of them establishing the adala the uprightness trustworthiness truthfulness integrity of the sahaba so this is where we ended in the previous lesson so today in today's lesson the second half of that line of poetry wa mawaddatul qurba biha atawassalu wa mawaddatul qurba biha atawassalu so in the first half of the poetry it mentions the sahaba all of them and in the second half of the poetry it is mentioned the translation of which is that by way of love of al-qurba al-qurba he meaning ahlul bayt they are the ahlul bayt those who are the close relatives of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that through, that loving them through that do i seek a means of nearness to allah and this is the meaning of this poetry so our topic today then is actually around loving the ahlul bayt loving alul bayt and we see there are many evidences in the quran and the sunnah which indicate that the ahlul bayt have a special and lofty position posi- uh, lofty position in the hearts of the muslims due to what we see in the quran likewise the sunnah and so from those narrations which are mentioned in this regard which indicate uh, this is an incident in which Aisha radiallahu anhu reports, as he reported by Imam Muslim, that the Prophet وسلم, he, uh, that he went out in the early morning and uh, Al-Hasan bin Ali came and so he allowed him to enter or he came and the, the message allowed him to, to come and then Al-Hussein came, so these, these are his two grandchildren and so he came as well and he allowed him to come and then Fatima radiallahu anha, she came as well. He entered her as well. And then Ali came after that. And once it all come, he actually said, and this is actually a verse in the Quran as well. He said, "Innama yuridullah liyudhiba ankum al-ridsa ahlul bayt wa yutahhirakum tathira." That indeed, Allah wishes to remove from you all evil. O Ahlul Bayt, and to purify you with a great purification. And so this incident here, this narration which is reported by Muslim, is an indication of the position of the Ahlul Bayt, of the the household of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In another narration from Abu Huraira, Radiallahu Anhu, uh, the Messenger Sallallahu he used to receive dates. The people would come and give in charity. Until there would be a whole heap of dates present. And so 
what would happen is that Al-Hasan Al-Hussein, they would start playing with these dates. And one of them would take a date and then put it into his mouth. And then when the Messenger of he saw him, he would take it out of his mouth. And he, and he said, do you not know that the family of Muhammad, وسلم, they do not eat from charity? Right? Because the, the Ahlul Bayt, the family of the Messenger of they are prohibited to eat from that which is given in, in charity. So this shows that obviously they have a special status and position as it as it as in regards to certain things and also from anas radiyallahu anhu who said that the messenger of allah he never arrived in the evening except that he didn't even have with him a asar like a certain measurement of seeds or like you know barley or seeds or things of this nature even despite the fact that he had nine wives so in other words, it's showing you the circumstances in which the Messenger of and his family, his household, used to live in. They would go for days without even any food. Okay. And from... Uh, there's also another narration here from Abu Hamid al-Sa'idi, radiallahu anhu, who said that they said to the Messenger of Allah, how shall we ask for prayers upon you? How shall we make salah? How can we ask Allah to send... Salat upon you. And so he taught them, Qulu Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa azwajihi wa dhurriyatihi kama sallaita ala ali Ibrahim wa barik ala Muhammad wa azwajihi wa dhurriyatihi kama barakta ala ali Ibrahim innaka hamidun majid in Bukhari Muslim. So all of these narrations indicate that there is a shari'i, a legislated love upon every single Muslim to love the family and the household of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Imam al-Zahabi rahimahullah, he mentions in Siyar Alam al-Nubula, he mentions, mentions from Hamad ibn Zayd, from Yahya bin Sa'id, who said that he, that, that he heard Ali bin al-Hussein. Ali bin al-Hussein is uh, the grandson of Ali, also called Ali. The grandson of Ali, radiallahu anhu, also called Ali. And he was the best of the tribe of Hashim. And he said in, in that time, and he said, O people, this is now Ali bin al-Hussein saying this. He says, O people, ya ayyuhan nas, love us with the love of Islam. And do not let your love of us become such that it becomes a um, you know something dislikable. Right? In other words, what he's saying to them is that if you want to love us, love us with a Sharia legislated love. Don't love us with a type of love that actually becomes blameworthy. And Abu Muawiyah, he said, he narrates from Yahya bin Sa'id, from Ali radiallahu anhu, who said, "O people of Iraq, O people of Iraq." Love us with the love of Islam. And don't love us with the love of Al-Asnam, the love of idols. Love us with the love of Islam, but don't love us with the love of idols. For your love will never cease to be up until it becomes a something reprehensible and dislikable to us. So, 
here we see that when we when we speak of the obligation of loving the Ahlul Bayt, we see here the Ahlul Bayt themselves, because they are from the Ahlul Bayt, Ali bin al-Husayn and Ali radiallahu anhu, they themselves said to the people in their time, and we shall speak about these people that they, they were speaking of a bit later on, that lovers with the Ashari legislated love, not a type of love that becomes something blameworthy and despicable. So here then, this is وَمَوَدَّةُ uh, الْقُرْبَى and Al-Qurba Al-Qurba, this word Al-Qurba What does this mean? The near ones And the near ones Here, the scholars There are different views But basically what it comes down to That which is correct is That they are Banu Hashim Those who come from Banu Hashim And Banu Al-Muttalib Banu Al-Muttalib That they are the ones who are intended When it comes to Ahlul Bayt or sorry, uh, Al-Qurba, this word Al-Qurba, the close relatives. And this view has been chosen by Ibn Jarir, At-Tabari, Rahimullah, and Ibn Kathir. And likewise, Imam Shafi, Rahimullah, he said, he said that when the Messenger of Allah, وسلم, he gave Banu Hashim and Banu Al-Muttalib, he gave them a share of the khums. You know, the fifth of the booty. Because a fifth of the war booty goes to Allah and His Messenger. And from that, the Messenger would give to Banu Hashim and Banu Al-Muttalib. And so therefore, this is a proof. This therefore is a proof that the scholars have used to, to, to show and establish that those who are intended as being Al-Qurba, meaning the near relatives, are... Banu Hashim and Banu Al-Muttalib as opposed to uh, those besides them so all of this then shows that the the Qurba, those who are the Qurba who are the near relatives of the messenger of Allah and his household in particular and they, they are Fatima radiallahu anha and Ali and Hassan al-Hussein and likewise his uncle al-Abbas all of them are from the you know, Al-Qurba and the Ahlul Bayt. Now, this brings us now to an issue that was raised in our previous lesson in some of the questions at the end regarding the, the Rafidah, the Shia. And so what we'll do, inshallah, in, in, in this lesson, because since we are dealing here specifically with the Sahaba, because the line of poetry, if you look at it, it says, حُبُّ sahabati kullihim li madhabun. Loving all of the Sahaba for me is a madhab, is a way. Then it says, وَمَوَدَّةُ الْقُرْبَى بِهَا أَتَوَسَّلُوا And then loving the near ones, meaning Ahlul Bayt, is something by which I seek nearness to Allah. So therefore, these two issues here have been mentioned together in this one line of poetry. So therefore, uh, we'll elaborate upon this, inshallah, a bit more. And we see here that Sheikh... Um, Salih al-Suhimi he mentions some speech regarding this line of poetry regarding the Sahaba in particular so he says here from that which is worthy of being pointed out from that which is worthy of being pointed out is to remain silent about whatever occurred amongst the Sahaba whatever occurred amongst the Sahaba to be silent about that meaning those tribulations which occurred amongst the Sahaba, as a result of 
those people who were planted amongst the people of Islam. There were people who came, they planted themselves amongst the Sahaba. And these people, the likes of Abdullah bin Sabah al-Yahudi, Abdullah bin Sabah, this Yemeni Jew uh, who came and he stirred up the tribulation and other people like him, that they are the ones who caused this tribulation to occur. And whatever tribulations occurred, it's not permissible for anyone to start using these issues, to start putting doubts in people's hearts and stirring up hatred in the hearts of, in, in the hearts of people towards the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And there were, there were many things which happened historically. There were certain incidents which happened as a result of this tribulation, this trial that took place. And from those tribulations that took place is the incident that is called the incident of the camel, al-jamal. And uh, we'll speak about this a bit more inshallah ta'ala. And likewise, this happened between, um, between Ali radiallahu an, anhu and Talha and Zubair and Aisha radiallahu anha. And likewise, another incident between Ali and Muawiyah at Sifin, where they gathered together two armies. And all of these things, these are the two main things which, which happened. But with respect to these issues, it's not permissible for anyone to start raising them, to start pointing fault and blame at this one from the companions or that one from the companions. Because all of these issues were actually stirred from outside. They were stirred from people outside. Unfortunately, in the history books, there have been many lies which have been inserted in the history books. And we see <coughs> that there are many Rafidi Shia writers of history who wrote history. And some of their names, he mentioned some of their names, Al-Mas'udi and Al-Ya'qubi. And these are some of the people to whom the narrations came, narrations came through them about those historical events and these were rafidis they were these were shia rafidis and as a result of that we see that in many of the books that came and people who relied upon them like al-waqidi and al-qalbi and some others who, who wrote histories that they relied upon these these types of narrations and as a result there were things ascribed to some of the sahaba which the sahaba are free of radiyallahu anhum and so this shows that we have to be careful that many of the books of history are filled with lies and with nonsense and with things ascribed to the companions which they are free of. Rather, we see that the companions, radiallahu anhum, we see that after all this tribulation which occurred, they recognize and realize that this is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is narrated, it is said by Ali, radiallahu anhu, and this was after the, these two events, the incident of the camel, shall we, we'll explain what that means, and the incident of uh, which took place at Sifin. And this was after the Sahaba, when they got involved and caught up in this tribulation, they showed remorse, they felt remorseful. And Ali radiallahu anhu said, he said, Indeed, I hope that I myself and Talha and Zubair and Muawiyah, meaning those from the companions whom he had some apparent you know, differences with, he said, I hope that I and Talha and Zubair and Muawiyah radiallahu anhum are from those about whom Allah said in the Quran. Then he mentioned an ayah in the Quran, Surah Al-Hijr, Surah 15, verse 34. Ma fi min ala surur, ala 
Allah, he is speaking of people in paradise. That we should remove all of the ghil, this like rancor and dislike, which is in their hearts. And we shall make them as brothers, reclining and facing each other on, you know, on uh, beds, on, uh, on, on, on beds, or on seats. And likewise, Umar bin Abdul Aziz, rahimahullah, he said, they are a people, meaning the Sahaba, they are a people whom Allah, Allah purified our swords and our hands from harming them. So let us purify our tongues from attacking their honors. This is a statement of Umar bin Abdul Aziz. And uh, we see then in general that we have to be careful that many lies and distortions exist in the history books. And the Sheikh has mentioned uh, an important book that was written, written historically by a scholar called Ibn al-Arabi. Ibn al-Arabi al-Maliki al-Ishbili. And he wrote a book called uh, Al-Awasim Min Al-Qawasim. This is a book that deals with a lot of the false narrations that have, been, that have come regarding some of the companions and some of these historical incidents. Al-Awasim Min Al-Qawasim of Ibn Al-Arabi Al-Maliki. This is Ibn Al-Arabi, not Ibn Arabi. Ibn Arabi was this other Sufi mystic who was declared to be a kafir by a large, large, large number of scholars such as Ibn Hajar and many others, because this man believed that the whole of existence is one, and Allah is one with every single thing, and so the one worshipping is also the one worshipped, and the one worshipped is also the one worshipping. So these people are, those who hold this belief, they are outside the fold of Islam. So this, this scholar is Ibn al-Arabi al-Maliki. So he has this book. Now, um, <coughs> so we're going to look at some of the history because I think in our minds we should be clear about some of these things which happened historically uh, just so that we understand that these Rafida, the Shia what is it, what was the reality of these people so we begin by mentioning what we did in the previous lesson we mentioned Abdullah bin Sabah al-Yahudi, this Yemeni Jew from Yemen. Uh, and up until the 19th century, so we are speaking here by the end of the, ninth, by the, end of the 1800s, there wasn't any dispute, neither in the books of Ahl-Sunnah, nor in the books of the Shia, even the books of the Shia, that this man, Abdullah bin Sabah, was real and existed. There wasn't any dispute, there wasn't any controversy. Then what happened is that some of these Orientalists, these Orientalist scholars, these are people, Europeans and other than them, Germans, French, Americans, they, you know, they study Islam and they have numerous sciences. They study the Quran, they study history, they study the, the Hadith, whatever. And all of it is really from the angle of casting doubts and putting doubts upon the deen of the Muslims, right, to academically dominate these fields and start pushing doubts about the Quran when was it compiled and you know about the hadith are they really authentic and about history did this what really happened and so they came and so these people started doubting was there really a man called Abdullah bin Sabah and they began to write this in their books they began to cast doubt so from these people there were others 
who took that information, who began to regurgitate these doubts. Some of them were from the Shia, and some of them were, you know, some uh, some of them were from the bootlickers, those from the Muslims who were licking the boots of these, the likes of these people, and started lapping up this falsehood and began to regurgitate this nonsense. You know, from from people who are supposedly from Ahlul Sunnah. So, like from the Egyptians and other than them, there were some people amongst them who began to take this from the Orientalists. But before that, there wasn't any doubt that this man, Abdullah bin Sabah, is real and true and that he existed. And in fact, we don't have the materials, but there are many, many, many statements from the books of the Shia themselves that this man, Abdullah bin Sabah, was true and real and that he was the one responsible for many of these doctrines. It's all very clear in the books of the Shia from before 1900. So the point here is that this man, this Abdullah bin Sabah, he was the one who basically he started initiating a revolution against Uthman radiallahu anhu. So the fitna, the tribulation actually started with Uthman radiallahu anhu. And what he did was that he began to uh, send letters in secret to different parts of the Muslim world, to Kufa, to Basra, and he was doing this from Egypt. He was doing this from Egypt. And what happened is that as a result of mobilizing people over the period of about one year, so in about 34 Hijrah, he was working in this way, writing letters and basically just stirring people against Uthman radiallahu anhu. And again, we said that this is from the enemies of Islam because they know that the Tawheed is the Haqq. They know the Messenger is indeed the Messenger of Allah. The Quran is the truth, the Messenger is the truth. They can't deny this. And they can't deny the, the truth of the teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah. The Tawheed of Allah and the obligation to worship Allah alone and to obey the messenger. And so what they did is they knew that to damage Islam, then you have to damage those carriers who are, who are the ministers of this message. They are the companions of Allah's messenger. And so these people, they began to work in this way. And in 34 Hijrah, this man, Abdullah bin Sabah, he mobilized people and told them to converge in Medina the following year. Right, So now this was a plan that was put into motion. That the following year, all of these people who are basically all the scoundrels and the, the low, you know, the, 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 as, as the scholars refer to them, the dregs and the scumbags of society. This is how the scholars refer to them in, when you read the, you know, when they mention these types of people. The, the dregs and the scumbags and the low life of the, of, the, of the society. That all of them, they were mobilized and they all agreed to meet under the leadership of Abdullah bin Sabah and some other other people, to converge upon Medina. After after doing Hajj, to converge upon uh, uh, Medina. So, what happened? They came, and when they came to Medina the following year, they actually laid siege to Uthman radiallahu anhu. They actually laid a siege around his house. And there were thousands of these people. It is said that maybe there were about 2,000 people who'd come from Iraq, and from Egypt. You can imagine 2,000 people right, who had come converted upon Medina and laid siege literally around Uthman's house. Now imagine 2,000 people around your house. Right? So you can imagine the, the, the scenario here. So these people, were, this eventually led 
as the stories mentioned that they eventually murdered Uthman radiallahu anhu and uh, when Uthman radiallahu anhu was murdered Ali radiallahu anhu was given the pledge of allegiance because the sahaba already knew that Ali radiallahu anhu is the fourth most virtuous person after Abu Bakr, Umar and Uthman radiallahu anhu and so the companions naturally they gave the pledge of allegiance to Ali radiallahu anhu who was the new ruler now some of the companions they felt that those who were responsible for this murder have to be pursued and have to be brought to justice they have to be pursued as a matter of priority as a matter of urgency and they have to be brought to justice now from Ali's point of view, as the leader, when you've got 2,000 people who've just entered into al Medina, and these are hostile people, these are hostile people, these people have evil designs. And those who killed Uthman radiallahu anhum are actually concealed amongst these 2,000. It's not clear who actually killed him. right? It's, it's, it's concealed because you've got 2,000 people who've laid siege, and amongst them a contingent go and they murdered Uthman so now it's all it's not clear what's going on and so Ali his intent was basically his, he thought it's unwise to pursue these people when there's 2,000 of these people here present amongst us it's unwise and what we'll do because there's 2,000 people is way too many for us to deal with and to bring these perpetrators to justice so he decided that it is better that Let's stabilize the situation first. Let's stabilize the situation. Obviously, there's great turmoil by the death of, by the murder of Uthman, radiallahu anhu. Let's stabilize the situation first, get things in order, and then we will pursue the perpetrators. Because right now we are in an inferior position. There's 2,000 people who've come to Medina with an evil intent. How on earth are we going to start dealing and meeting out justice? We can't do that. So you can see that there's two different opinions amongst the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And so what happened, as we said, is that these perpetrators, they actually mingled amongst the people of Medina to hide themselves. And they, because they knew the companions are going to come after them to establish justice. So they mingled and they mixed and they you know, tried to conceal themselves. Now from those Sahaba who wanted revenge for Uthman radiallahu anhu, they were Talha and Zubair radiallahu anhum, anhuma. And likewise Aisha radiallahu anha who was, who was in Mecca at the time. And so what happened is Talha and Zubair, they differed with Ali, they had a different opinion uh, compared to Ali. And they were unhappy that you know the retribution wasn't sought for Uthman radiallahu anhu. Then they went to Mecca and they met with Aisha radiallahu anha and after discussing with Aisha radiallahu anha they decided to go to Basra they decided to go to Basra so and this was in order to bring about some reconciliation and to unite the sahaba and to pursue the perpetrators and to you know decide how we're going to deal with with these perpetrators so They then left for Basra 
And this is when the famous companion, I mentioned to you in the last lesson, there was a companion, uh, Ammar bin Yasir. Ammar bin, Ammar bin Yasir. He said that uh, he himself was made responsible to get a group together. To get a group together. In other, in other words, to go to... Uh, you know, to get a group together to, to help resolve this problem. And so he made this statement, he said that Aisha radiallahu anha is the wife of the Prophet in this life and the next. However, Allah has put you to trial to see whether it is him you obey or whether it is her, meaning Aisha, that you will obey. Meaning this companion recognized that this is like a, a tribulation in the circumstances. So what's happened now is that Talha and Zubair and Aisha radiallahu anha, that they are on the way to Basra with a, a contingent of people, with a group of people that they've mobilized for this purpose. And their aim is to go there and to bring unity and consultation and bring together the, the, you know, the, the two factions who have different points of view so that they can collectively go and start pursue, pursuing the the, 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 the criminals. So, the Sab'iyah, now remember the, sab, the Sab'iyah are the ones who are the followers of Abdullah bin Sab'ah. Right? They're the ones who instigated the, the murder of Uthman. They've now realized, and they've recognized, that these two groups, Ali radiallahu anhu, and Talha and Zubair and Aisha radiallahu anha, anha, that they are going to gather together in Basra, and there's going to be a consensus reached between them. And the companions are going to be united and they're going to decide on taking some action. And so what they did is that these Sab'i, we call them the Sab'iyyah, the followers of Abdullah bin Sab'ah. They split into two groups. So one group mingled, or in fact one group actually was hidden already amongst in, in Medina, along with Ali radiallahu anhu. So they mingled with Ali radiallahu anhu and people who were with him. And another group they mingled with the faction of Talha and Zubair. So they split into two. They split into two. And they both took a position amongst the army, amongst the group of Ali, and the group with Talha and Zubair. And then what they did, when they realized that these two groups are going to come together, they're going to have a reconciliation, they're going to be united, they're going to start pursuing the perpetrators. So they did what we mentioned, that they split into, they split into two. And some split into the camp of Talha and Zubair, and others slipped into the... They were already with Ali in, uh, in Ali's camp, uh, in point of fact. And the aim was to start stirring up matters on both sides. So the ones who were on the side of Talha and Zubair, meaning the Sab'iyah, they'd slipped into the camp of Talha and Zubair, they started saying, we want revenge. We want revenge for Uthman radiallahu anhu. This began to stir up this issue in the camp of Talha and Zubair. And there were others on the camp of Ali, radiallahu anhu. And those on the camp of Ali, radiallahu anhu, they, meaning the Sab'iyyah, they launched an attack on Talha and Zubair's army and Aisha, radiallahu anha. So when the attack came from this side, from the side of Ali, radiallahu anhu, in fact it was the Sab'iyyah who were hidden amongst them, then on the other side, Talha and Zubair and Aisha radiallahu anha, they were led to believe that the other army has attacked them. 
And so they in turn, out of self-defense, then they fought back. And it appeared in the confusion that each side has been attacked by the other. Whereas in reality, it's a faction hidden and concealed amongst both of them who instigated this, this tribulation. So what happened is, obviously some fighting ensued and they were just defending themselves. What they thought was the aggression from the other side. And they were just defending themselves. And the historians like Imam Al-Qabari, rahimahullah, and others, they mentioned that these, this fighting was instigated by the mischief makers to prevent the sulh, to prevent the reconciliation. Because the Sahaba, that's what they were intending. They were intending, let's get together, let's unite, move our differences, remove our differences. And once they are removed, we can then pursue the perpetrators with full force. And that's what these people didn't want because they knew that their, their uh, time was up. So what happened is that those people were involved in this fighting and, 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 and uh, who, who instigated this fighting and this killing, there were from them certain people. From them, there was a person called Zayd bin al-Hussein al-Ta'i. Zayd bin al-Hussein al-Ta'i. And another one, Shuraih bin Awfi al-Abasi. Now, remember, the Khawarij haven't appeared yet. So we're, we're way before... The, the appearance of the Khawarij. Right now, these two individuals, think about these two names that I mentioned to you, these two individuals, they were from the companions of Abdullah bin Sabah, the Sabaiya. These two same individuals later on became the heads of the Khawarij. From the heads of the Khawarij. Right? So, what we understand from this is that this initial group who revolted against Uthman radiallahu anhu that they were essentially the root and the origin and the spring for both the Rafida and the Khawarij. Rafida and the Khawarij. The Rafida opposed the Sahaba and the Khawarij opposed the Sahaba. You see the common element here. So these two, they became from the heads of the Khawarij. And in fact, uh, one of them, Zayd bin al-Hussein al-Ta'i, he said to Ali, he said, we will kill you like we killed Uthman. This is recorded by Imam At-Tabari, rahimahullah. Meaning one of these who was with Abdullah bin Sabah, initially involved in the, the fitna between the two parties, Ali and Talha and Zubair. And he's the one who made this remark. So the point from this that we're trying to mention here is, that look at the roots of the Rafida and the Khawarij, that they have a common element uh, between them. So, the Sab'iyya, this faction, their issue was what? What was their main issue? What was their problem? In one word, the Imama, the Imama, the leadership, the leadership. The Khawarij, what was their issue? What was their problem? Tahkim, ruling, rulership, Al-Hakimiyya. That's what we call today Al-Hakimiyya. So the Sab'iyya, their issue is what issue was Al Imama. Al Imam, the leadership. Leadership. And the Khawarij, their issue was the Tahkim, the issue of giving rule, arbitration between Ali and Muawiyah. That this is now you know shirk because only Allah has the right to rule. This is Al Hakimiyyah. Right? So pay attention to these two words Al Imama and Al Hakimiyyah. Right? Because through that you will understand the reality of 20th century ignorant 
misguided thinkers, so-called, like Al-Mawdudi and Sayyid Qutb and other people, because that's exactly the same concepts they brought, Al-Imama and Al-Hakimiyyah. And both of them were had revilements against the Sahaba, against some of the Sahaba, عنهم, the same poison brought in the 20th century. But anyway, pay attention to the... Understand what's going on here. What 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 is the you know the, the the what's actually happening here? So from this, what happened here is that when these things began to happen between Ali, radiallahu anhu, and uh, the some of the other companions, and they managed to instigate this problem now and this fighting and this you know tribulation, then there was a group who remained, who claimed they were with Ali radiallahu anhu and they became known as the Shia the Shia of Ali meaning those who sided with Ali in this tribulation right so they are given the name of the Shia and they were people from uh, Kufa in Iraq uh, in you know in, in in Iraq and so they sided with with uh, Ali radiallahu anhu now these people who claim to be from the Shia of Ali then they from whom today Shia that they, that they that they come, these people. They are the ones who basically they um, they gave a lot of problems to the Ahlul Bayt, meaning these people who claim to be from the Shia of Ali, meaning those who sided with Ali in these tribulations. They sided with Ali. Now they gave a lot of problems to the uh, Ahlul Bayt, meaning to Ali radiallahu anhu, to Al Hasan, to Al Hussein, and to the offspring. And um, we're going to read some narrations for you, so that you can see the reality of these people. And these book, these narrations, they are all taken from the books of the Rafi, the Shia. This is, in other words, this is the Shia themselves, their scholars, writing these things right so it's not something that they can actually dispute and from it we understand the mentality of these people from that time till our time today meaning these rafida the shia so an example here is what they bring in their books uh, a book called al-kafi and they narrate from ali radiallahu anhu he said that if i was to distinguish my shia he's speaking with those people who sided with him in the tribulation he says, I would not find them except as apostates. And if I was to separate them, not even one in a thousand would be, would be purified. Another example, saying of Ali from one of their books, uh, O you who resemble men, but are not men, I love that had I not seen you, and not known you, for indeed it is an acquaintance that has brought about remorse and shock. Meaning just by knowing you people, it has brought about remorse and shock. May Allah fight you, for you've filled my heart with, you know, with rage, and you've made me swallow air convulsively. By your disobedience and abandonment of me, you have corrupted the view of me. And he goes on like this, you know, um, also some other narrations uh, in which Al-Hussein, he says about those people, now Al-Hussein, there's a whole story about that as well. Because Al-Hussein, uh, he was essentially... Uh, the, the, actually, we'll mention that story in a short while. So this is Al-Hussein. 
he says, um, uh, he made a dua against the people who were the Shia, meaning the Shia who sided with him and his family in that tribulation. And he said, O oh Allah, if you make them to enjoy for a while, then split them with a splitting and split them into divergent paths and do not make their rulers happy over them. For verily they invited us to support us, but then they showed enmity towards us and killed us. Right? Here, al Hussein, when he's making this dua, there's actually history behind this whole incident. Right? And we'll mention that history in a, in a short while, inshallah. But basically, al Hussein, before he was murdered at Karbala, he made many, he, as is found in the books of the Shia, that he made many supplications against those people who initially they claimed to support him, then they backstabbed him. Then they, they're the ones who actually killed him. The Shia are the ones who actually killed Hussein. Right? They, they backstabbed him and they, they killed him. We'll come to that story in a short while. And likewise, Al Hussein, he says in another supplication, he said, You people, you hasten to give the Pledge of Allegiance like birds come, and you flock together like the flocking of moths, then you let go of all of that. He said, May foolishness, remoteness, and destruction be from the taghuts of this Ummah. Those who throw the books behind their backs, then you fail us and you fight against us. May the curse of Allah be upon the oppressors. And so the point being here that there are many texts from Al Hassan and Al Hussein and Ali bin Al Hussein as well. Uh, all of them who are basically reviling and criticizing these people who were in that time who claimed ascription to Ali, but they were the most backstabbing of people, cowardly of people, right? Now, this, this comes to the story of uh, Al-Hussein. So we need to mention that as well, so you understand the, the history of why these people believe what they believe. So what happened is that with Al-Hussein, radiallahu anhu, when Muawiyah, who was the first of the rulers after uh, the four caliphs, he was the first of the kings and the best of the kings in Islam. And so when he passed away, then his son Yazid, Yazid bin Muawiyah, he took power. And he was based in Sham, in Sham. And then he sent people out requesting that everyone come under his obedience, to give him the Pledge of Allegiance and to come under his obedience. So what happened is that all of the senior companions, they actually gave him the Pledge of Allegiance. Because they know from the Sunnah, it is to obey the ruler, whether he is sinful, whether he is you know, righteous, to obey the ruler, because this is, this is a command in, in the Sunnah. So the major senior companions gave him the Pledge of Allegiance. However, al Hussein and Ibn Zubair, they didn't come under his authority, because they had certain reasons they felt that they didn't want to um, you know, come under his authority. And... What then happened is that from Kufa, so remember there's Sham over here and there's Kufa over here in Iraq and then down here we have in, in the peninsula, Makkah and Medina where the companions were present. And so when Yazid, he made this uh, request and then many of the companions, the senior companions, they came under his authority and they gave the, you know, the obedience. But Hussein and Ibn Zubair, they didn't uh, give the Pledge of Allegiance. Now remember, all of this is following on as tribulation from the initial murder of Uthman. Right? These are all things which are happening as a consequence of the initial murder of, of, of Uthman. So then what happened is that there were 
large groups of those Shia in Kufa who had been on the side of Ali previously, right? Previously before when, when the issue of Uthman happened and there was difference of opinion between Talha and Zubair and Ali and the, the issue of the camel, the battle of the camel took place when the Sabaiya got involved and stirred that tribulation. So those people who were from the Shia of Ali who stayed with him, there were large groups of them in Kufa. What they began to do is they began to write letters to Al Hussein in Mecca. And they would say to him, Come to us. There's so many of us. We will give you the Pledge of Allegiance. Come, lead us. Be our leader. And so when these letters were coming to him, he sent a man by the name of Muslim bin Aqil. This man was called Muslim bin Aqil. So he sent him to go and investigate, see what's happening here, and see is there really this type of support there. And so Muslim bin Aqil, he went, he went to Kufa, and in Kufa, he found, or it is in some reports, that there were 18,000 people, 18,000 people in one report, and some other reports mentioned 40,000, much, much more, that this number of people gave him a pledge of allegiance, that we are now, we, under your authority, under, under the authority of Al-Hussein, uh, Al that we are with you, we support you, and so on and so forth. So, when Muslim bin Aqil, when he turned up in Kufa, he was hosted by a man called Hani bin Urwa, who he stayed in his house. And, but Muslim bin Aqil, when he came, and he came face to face with these people who were supposedly from the Shia of Ali, meaning those who sided with Ali in the fitna, he saw from them certain things. He saw from them certain things. He saw that these people are very quick to change color. They're like chameleons, very quick to change color. And he saw that historically as well, these people had, behaven, had, had, be, had behaved in a certain way with Ali and with Al-Hassan. They'd acted treacherously toward the, with respect to them. So he wasn't totally sure. He wasn't really 100% sure of these people. Are they really you know, uh, firm in what they are saying or not? So what happened is that Al-Hussein, when he received word from his representative Muslim, bin Aqil, that yes, there is a large number of people here ready, waiting for you. He then set out. Al-Hussein then left Mecca to go to Al-Kufa. Now when he did this, this was his ijtihad. He was advised by many of the senior companions, such as Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhu, and Ibn Umar, and Ibn Zubair, and Jabir bin Abdullah, Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, radiallahu anhu, Abdullah bin Amr bin al-As, radiallahu anhu. These are all from the major senior companions. And they advised him, do not go, do not go. But he made his ijtihad, and he was also advised by his brother, Muhammad bin al-Hanafiya, not to go. But anyway, he, 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 he left, and he was warned by some of these companions and some, some of the, uh, his brother, that these people in Kufa, they are treacherous. They are treacherous people. Do not rely upon these people. But anyway, he left. He made his ijtihad and he left. And even when he left on his journey, as he was going on his journey, Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhu, and Muhammad bin al-Hanafiya, his brother, they actually went out on the journey to meet with him at a certain place and to tell him, don't go, don't go, don't go. However, Qadr Allah, it was the decree of Allah that he would remain firm upon his decision. So he left for Kufa. Okay, so now Al-Hussein 
is on the way to Kufa from Mecca. Now what's happened is meanwhile, when we go back to Kufa, we go back to Kufa here in Iraq. So over here there's Yazid bin Muawiyah and he's heard that there's, you know, there's like a opposition to him in Kufa. So he sends an army general. An army general. This army general is Ubaidullah bin Ziyad. So he came and he came with a large army. Came with a large army. When he came with a large army to Kufa, then those Shia who were from the Shia of Ali, who gave the pledge of allegiance to the representative of Al Hussein, who was called what? Who was called Muslim bin Aqil. Remember this man, uh, Al Hussein, sent him to Kufa, and he was given the pledge of allegiance. When these people learned that this army command has been sent by Yazid bin Muawiyah, and he came into Kufa, they changed sides. They they basically stabbed Muslim bin Aqil and Al Hussein in the back. Right. So basically, they abandoned. Muslim bin Aqil, they left him until Muslim bin Aqil, as is mentioned in the in the in, in the narrations, that he was basically literally left on his own as a single man. Not a single one of these people remained with him, right? So they just deserted and abandoned him. And but but and, and what happened as well is that the, this Muslim bin Aqil and Hani bin Urwa, in whose house Muslim bin Aqil was staying in Kufa, and a third person. Abdullah bin Yaqtar, they were deserted by the, the Shia. And when Ubaidullah bin, bin Ziyad came with the army, these three were captured and they were killed. They were killed by Ubaidullah bin Ziyad. But before he was killed, Muslim bin Aqil, he'd managed to send a letter to Hussein. And Hussein was on the journey to Kufa. And in this letter, he said, Muslim bin Aqil, he informed Al Hussein that the Shia have deserted me and you should turn back. There's no point in you coming to Kufa because these people have been treacherous and they've deserted us. So you should turn back. And so what happened is that those people who came with Al Hussein, there were a large number of people who came with Al Hussein, those people also then left Al Hussein and started making their way back, back to the home or whatever else, until there was only Al Hussein left with his family members. So then what happened is they, when they were on the journey, when they were on the journey, they decided to, instead of going towards Kufa, they turned westwards and they came towards Karbala, which is coming back this way now towards the place called Karbala. And so they came to Karbala. And it is here then that when they came to Karbala, that Al Hussein, he, this is now in Iraq, uh, he began to speak about these uh, Shia calling them, uh, as is mentioned in, in, in narrations, even in the books of the Shia, that because of the fact that they stabbed, backstabbed, this backstabbing that they did, that they, they are taghuts and they are criminals, and you know many of these uh, things which are narrated about them. It's a sermon that he gave, in fact, and the sermon is documented in the, in the books of the Shia themselves. So then what happened is that whilst they arrived at Al-Karbala, there were some discussions that were taking place between Al Hussein and a representative of that army commander who'd been sent by Yazid. 
This army commander was called Ubaidullah bin Ziyad. You remember him, right? He, he came to Kufa with his army, and then all the Shia, they left Muslim bin Aqil, who's a representative of Al-Hussein. Right? So now what's happened is that why, when he's reached uh, Kufa, this commander Ubaidullah bin Ziyad, he sent a representative to go to see where Hussein is. And this individual was a person called Amr bin Sa'ad. Amr bin Sa'ad. When Amr bin Sa'ad, he came to Al-Hussein, Al-Hussein said to him, look, there's three things that you should do with me. There's three things. Either you take me to Yazid. Take me to Yazid. Because he knew that Yazid would not kill him. Pay attention to this. He said, give me one of three options. Give me one of these three choices. Either take me to Yazid, because he knew that Yazid would not kill him. Or, uh, I will turn back and I'll go straight back to the Hijaz. I'll turn around and go straight back to the Hijaz. Or number three, take me to one of the far off border regions of the Muslims and I'll just remain there and you know that's, that's the end of it. Right? So he said, look, just give me one of these three options. And what happened is that uh, these three requests, like any one of these three requests wasn't accepted by Ubaidullah bin Ziyad, who is the army commander of his own accord. Right? That's his... He said, no, we're not accepting any of that. Then what happened is that this was what led to the battle eventually. right? Because these three proposals, one of these three proposals wasn't accepted. Either take me to Yazid, I'll just turn back and go back to the Hijaz, or just take me to one of the distant border regions of the Muslims, and I'll just live there and remain there, and you know, whatever. So it wasn't accepted. So then what happened is that from Kufa, this man Amr bin Saad, who was the delegate of Ubaidullah bin Ziyad, he brought with him a group of people. And these groups of people was the ones who were, who were from the Shia. They were from the Shia, who were previously with, you know, ascribing to Ali. And these people came, and amongst them was a man called Shammar bin Dil-Joshan. Shammar bin Dil-Joshan. And he was the one who actually killed Al-Hussein. Radiallahu anhu. And so a group of them came. And obviously the battle is mentioned in a great detail. So Al-Hussein, he defended his family. And they killed all of his family. And, but these people are from the Shia of Ali. The ones who killed him. The Shia themselves, they killed uh, Hussein bin Ali. Radiallahu anhu. Not only that, in the battle that took place... They killed uh, Al-Hussein, but they also killed some of the other sons of Al-Hussein. And likewise, some of the, um, there were sons, uh, sorry, not just Al-Hussein, but there were other sons of Ali bin Abi Talib. Right now, do you know some of their names? Here are some of their names. Right, so, these, so with Al-Hussein were some of his brothers. And their names are Abu Bakr. Bin Ali. Abu Bakr bin Ali. Look at the name. This is the son of Ali. What's he called? He's called Abu Bakr bin Ali. Another son of Umar. Umar bin Ali. So he's named his son is Umar. Another one, Uthman bin Ali. Three sons of Ali called Abu Bakr, Umar, and Uthman. These obviously, I believe, through other wives. Right? And also, Ali's grandsons through Al-Hassan. So the children of Al-Hassan Abu Bakr bin Al-Hassan bin Ali. 
Umar bin al-Hasan bin Ali. So why don't the Rafidi Shia, when they speak about al-Husayn getting killed at Karbala, how come they don't mention these from the family of al-Husayn who were also killed? Why don't they mention these names? Right? You never hear it from these people. Kadhabin, Dajjalin. And they are the ones who killed the family of al-Husayn, historically. Right now, this isn't even denied by the Shia. In their books, these people readily admit that they are the ones who killed al-Husayn. And we see historically, there are many narrations uh, in the books of the Shia. There are many of their books, their authoritative books. I won't mention all the names, but they mention narrations from Muhammad bin al-Hanafiyya, who's the brother of al-Husayn. He said to al-Husayn, Oh my brother, you, are, you already know the treachery of the people of Kufa towards your father and your brother. And I fear that your affair will be the same as that of he who has already passed. Look at this. This is Muhammad bin al-Hanafiyya giving advice to al-Husayn. Saying that I fear the same will happen to you, what happened to your father and your, and your, your brother. Meaning Ali and al-Hasan. Right? That they were treacherous towards uh, you know, Ali and, and al-Hasan. And then um, there are many writers. That, I've got many narrations here. We won't go through all of them. Uh, some many many of their famous writers, Murtada, Mutahhiri, you know, he writes in his book Al Malhama Al Husayniya. Um, there are many many narrations here. They actually mention the story and they say basically clearly that it was the it was the twenty thousand from the people of Iraq who had given the pledge of allegiance to Al Hussein. They acted treacherously towards him whilst they had given them their pledge of allegiance, and then they killed him. Now, this is a Shia reference point, Ayatullah al-Uzma Muhsin al-Amin. But these are not from the ayat of Allah, these are from the ayat of Shaitan. They are the signs of the devil, these people. And there are other, there are, I've got 15, 20 narrations, I don't need to go through all of them. But the point being here is that in the books of the Shia, they readily admit that it was their own Shia who actually killed uh, al-Husayn. In fact, there was a, a nice statement... Here that we can mention uh, it come? Okay. Ali bin Hussein Zain al-Abidin when he saw the people of Kufa wailing and crying he said he said you wail and cry for us so who are the ones who killed us apart from you right so what happened is that once news reached of the killing of al-Hussein and his family the Shia who backstabbed and were treacherous to the Pledge of Allegiance in Kufa, they started crying and wailing. And when the, when the, the Ahlul Bayt, who are from the offspring of the Prophet who came after that time, saw these people wailing and crying, they, were, they used to make these remarks. What are you people crying over? You are the ones who actually killed us. What are you crying over? So you see that this fake type of wailing and crying is something that has remained with the Shia upon falsehood, up until this day of ours. So when you see the Shia backstabbing themselves, look at this, they're, they're backstabbers and they backstab themselves at the same time, you know, this lamenting and wailing that they do. right? And all of it is upon what? Falsehood. All of it is built upon utter complete falsehood. You are the ones who killed Al-Hussein <coughs> and you are the ones who are you are the ones who are lamenting over Al-Hussein. You took his blood and you are lamenting over him. What utter ridiculousness. And, and, and on account of that, you have 
specified enmity towards the people of the Sunnah. For what? You are the ones who actually killed, killed Al-Husayn. Radiallahu anhu. So this shows that the aql of a rafidi, the aql of a rafidi, you know, as, as Ibn Taymiyyah, he wrote a book, Minhaj uh, al-Sunnah. This book, Minhaj al-Sunnah, is a refutation of one of the Shia scholars in that time who, you know, wrote, wrote something to defend, you know, his, the doctrines. And often in the book, he would refer to him as a donkey. This donkey, look at what this donkey is writing. And really, this is the aql of a rafidi. Because when you look at what is in the actual books, in the books of the Shia, the Shia scholars, the authorities, they readily admit that those who killed Al-Hussein were from the Shia of Kufa. That we are the ones who actually killed him. So what on earth are you lamenting and wailing over then? And even the offspring from Ali and Al-Hussein, as we see these narrations, they would often <coughs> curse and revile these people. You were wailing and lamenting, but you are the ones who were killed us. What, what are you crying about? So the point being here then, is that when we look at this issue of uh, the Ahlul Bayt, we should be familiar with at least this amount of history to understand what the realities are of, of these people. And how upon falsehood, they've specified enmity upon issues which... You know, historically they've not really understood because it was a time of tribulation. So they thought that Yazid, even though there are many things that Yazid is criticized for, that they thought that he instigated the murder of Al Hussein. Whereas in reality, there's a lot of like complications involved, there's a lot of spur of the moment things taking place, and you know, Qadr Allah, this, this is what happened. But the crux of it is that it was these people in Kufa who backstabbed. Al Hussein, they were treacherous and deserted him, and then they switched sides, and you know, from them was a faction who came and they killed Al Hussein at, at Karbala. <coughs> right? So it shows you that really the the, the, the asal, the foundation of these people is is ridiculous and, and uh, baseless. So coming back then to the poetry, because in our poetry we say Hubbu Sahabati Kullihim li Madhabun. وَمَوَدَّةُ الْقُرْبَى بِهَا أَتَوَصَلُوا So we have love of all of the Sahaba and especially through love of Ahlul Bayt we seek nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this love of Ahlul Bayt is a love which is shari'i it's legislated, it's not like the love of the Rafida so we have the love of the Rafida, this is batil it is something which is غير shari'i it is love which involves beliefs of shirk and kufr Right? They have certain doctrines, which are doctrines of disbelief. Right? This is a not, not a shari'i love. This is a batil, ghair shari'i, a false, non-legislated type of love that they have for the Ahlul Bayt. And it is based upon falsehood as well, because you are the people who gave so much harm and grief to Ahlul Bayt. You same people from Kufa, the Shia of Kufa, other than them. So all of it is falsehood. It's all falsehood. It's lies from its beginning to its end. As the scholars explain, like Ibn Taymiyyah, that there's that there's no group of people in which in whom lying is found more than the Rafida. In fact, Ibn Taymiyyah mentions even amongst the jinn, he mentions in one of his books, he says that um, that someone mentioned uh, this thing here that there's no one amongst the people in whom there is more lying than the Rafida. And then there was a jinn 
And the jinn said, and likewise it is with us. Meaning even amongst the jinn, because in the jinn, amongst the jinn, there are rafida, there are people of the sunnah, there are jihamids, all sorts. So even amongst the jinn, it is known that the rafida, those who are the Shia and the rafida, that they are the most lying of all of the, of the jinn as well. So it shows that everything thereupon is utter falsehood. And they rely upon uh, a falsification of history in order to justify their doctrines. And the, the, the essence of it is that their foundation is from a Yemeni Jew by the name of Abdullah bin Sabah. And there's a great and amazing three-volume book written by a contemporary author where he goes through the resemblance between the Rafida and the Yahud. Three volumes. The resemblance between the Rafida and the Yahud. And he goes through all of the characteristics of the Rafida and looks at their beliefs, their doctrines, and their fiqh and everything. And he says that, look at how amazingly it is just the same as what the, the, the Yahud are upon. Because that's what their asal is. It is from the, from the Yahud. So, um, we come back to... We'll finish with some remarks from Sheikh Saleh al-Suhaymi, inshallah ta'ala. And Sheikh Saleh al-Suhaymi says that... So remember, you know, I said to you at the beginning, what was the grief, what was the grievance of the Sabaiyah? What was the issue? Imam and leadership. They said, Uthman shouldn't be ruler. He's not being just. There's no social justice. Right? What was the issue with the Khawarij? Tahkim. Hakimiyah. Hakimiyah. Okay. Here, Sheikh Salih Sahemi, he says, Do not, my dear brothers, turn or be affected by some of the writings of these contemporary writers. These people, they attacked the honors of the companions. Amongst them are those who made takfir, declared Muawiyah to be a kafir. And this is, by the way, Sayyid Qutb. He makes takfir of Muawiyah and Amr bin al-As. And likewise makes takfir of Abu Sufyan and his wife Hind. And he makes takfir of Banu Umayyah as a whole. <coughs> Banu Umayyah meaning the rulers of Banu Umayyah. That Islam never entered the hearts at all. And they just used Islam as a cloak. Put it on now to use it to, for some worldly benefit and then take it off in another situation. Essentially hypocrites. This is Sayyid Qutb writing about the, some of the, the, the companions in Bani Umayyah. He says, do not turn to the likes of these people. And some amongst them are those who even declare Ali to be a kafir. And amongst them are those who make takfir of anyone who was involved in the incident of, of Sifin and the Jamal. He says, all of this, these people writing things like this, they have just simply followed the uh, apes and pigs. He uses those words. He says, but rather, he says, if you were to ask, for example, if you, if you were to ask some of the Yahud, who are the best people amongst you? He, they will say, the companions of Musa, Ali, uh, companions of Musa, Ali salam. And if you were to ask the Christians, who are the best people amongst you? They will say, the companions of Isa, of Jesus, Ali salam. And if you were to ask those misguided people, meaning, these are Rafidah, who are the worst people amongst you? 
they will say the companions of Allah's Messenger. Look at that. Compare between what the Jews would say, the Christians would say, and what these Rafidah would say. So the point being here that in our, in our time, there are people who are writers. This is what they were writing about some of these companions, about Muawiyah, Amr bin al-As, that they were having, using hypocrisy and deceit and treachery and playing games. And that's how they managed to gain domination over Ali. That's the Sayyid Qutb writing this filth in his, uh, in his books. So, um, and then the Shaykh is saying, and these people, unfortunately, these very same people who are writing this nonsense and this filth, they are referred to as Shaheed. This person is a Shaheed. He says, this is, this is very unfortunate that you know, some people are deceived uh, in this way and start labeling the likes of these people you know, as Shuhada. This, this, is, this is wrong. He says that uh, we do not call anyone a Shaheed except whom the Messenger has specifically mentioned that he is a Shaheed. Otherwise, if someone dies, we, we hope that someone dies as a shaheed. But we can't say with certainty that he is a uh, shaheed. So, anyway, loving the Sahaba is nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and speaking ill of them and despising them, then it is an attack upon Islam itself. And that's why when we see these people or these writers who are writing in the 20th century, and at the same time, don't be surprised that you see what is the greatest thing that Maududi was speaking of? What's the greatest thing that Maududi was writing about? What was it? Al-Imamah. Al-Imamah. There's a book called Al-Shaqiqan. Al-Shaqiqan. The two twin brothers, or two brothers. Who's it referring to? Maududi and Al-Khomeini. Al-Khomeini. Because they, are, they were two very close friends. Al-Khomeini. And the son of Al-Maududi... Then he, he has some writings and he writes about the closeness between Maududi and Al-Khomeini. And Maududi says that the revolution of Al-Khomeini was a true Islamic revolution which should be a model for all revolutions. Right? That is Maududi for you. Maududi, Al-Imamah. Okay. Sayyid Qutb, what was Sayyid Qutb's thing that he revived? Al-Hakimiyyah. Al-Hakimiyyah. And at the same time, what is he doing? He's attacking Uthman. Uthman was a pathetic, senile old man, na'udhu billahi min dhalik, who should never have been a khalifa because he wasn't fit for it. Right? He makes takfir of all of Banu Amiyya, takfir of Abu Sufyan, Hind, radiallahu anhum ajma'een. And so his main thing was hakimiya. So that's why Sheikh Salih al-Suhaymi himself the Shaykh whose explanation we are reading, he has some speech where he says, he says, the, the gist of it is that he says, do not be deceived by this so-called enmity that you see between the khawarij of our time, meaning those people come out and say, the rulers are disbelievers, we need to topple them and remove them, they are evil, whatever, al-hakibi and so on and so forth. Don't be deceived by the apparent enmity you see between these people and between the Zionists and between the, the Yahud and those people who intend evil for the lands of the Muslims because they go back in history a very, very, very long time. They are friends, they are, like, you know, they are, they are partners and associates from way back in history. What's the Sheikh referring to? What's he referring to? 
Sab'iyya, who also became from the heads of the Khawarij. You understand? Because we said that from the Sab'iyya, from them, there were those who became from the heads of the Khawarij. Sab'iyya who revolted against Uthman, wanting social justice, right? You're not fit to be the ruler. We need to remove you. This is Imamiya. From those same Sab'iyya came, they turned to be from the heads of the Khawarij who fought against Ali. And from them, that man, that person, we said to you, At-Ta'i, he said to Ali that, you know, we will kill you like we killed Uthman. So here they became from the heads of the Khawarij, and the Khawarij, their issue was what? Tahkim, Hakimiyyah. That you didn't rule by what Allah revealed, therefore you are a kafir. We're going to fight you, we're going to kill you. And they revolted against all of the, all of the, uh, the, the Sahaba. Imama, Hakimiyyah. Both things, hatred of the Sahaba. What do we have? Maududi Qutb. Imama Hakimiyyah. Speaking ill of the companions, making takfir of them. Okay? So don't be... So what the Shaykh is saying in that, in that statement that I mentioned to you, don't be surprised. These people who are present in the Muslim lands, remove the rulers, topple the rulers. Because amongst them are the, those who infiltrate and are the enemies of Islam. Right? So all of these extremists and terrorists, many of these people you see, it's... It's people infiltrated amongst them. And, you know, all of these plots that you hear of, a plot to do this and a plot to bomb this. And a, not all the time. Many times it is sick, evil Muslims who obviously have these intentions. But not all the time. Some of the time it's, you know, the enemies who, for whom the door has been opened. So they enter in and they create even more tribulation, just like we see in that time. There are many lessons in history from this whole history that we understand how the Ahlul Bid'ah, those who deviate from within Islam, they become the doorway for those outside of Islam to come and cause even more tribulations and trials for, for, for the Muslimin. So the, this is a great and mighty insight from, from the Shaykh and the remark that he made that don't be deceived by this so-called display of you know, piety uh, by some of these people. We want al-hakimiyyah, we want justice, we want the sharia, we want this, the rulers are evil, they hoard all the wealth and whatever else. Right, like these people in Saudi Arabia, like Salman al-Awda, and other people like him who in the 90s was coming out, doing demonstrations, marches, making takfir, implying takfir, just like Sayyid Qutb was of the rulers. And now you see him sitting with a rafida, sitting with the Sufi, sitting, he's actually sitting with a rafida, you know, uh, you know, calling for an understanding between the Sunnis and the Shia. Right, because these... And, 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 and so don't be deceived by this so-called enmity these, 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 you know, these, these people have uh, towards the, the, the Rafida and the, they all really are behind and seeking the same thing, which is the leadership and the rule. That's what they're seeking. Just like those people who are seeking it in the time you know, before from the Khawarij. So these are some important lessons. We've obviously uh, gone into detail in this lesson because uh, this line of poetry حب الصحابة كلهم لمذهب ومودة القربة بها توصلوا Then it mentions the issue of the Sahaba and the Ahlul Bayt And so we need to be clear in our minds of historically what is the fact, what is the truth And also relate, take lessons about our contemporary times from what happened historically So that leaves us now with the issue of tawassal Because he said here ومودة القربة بها توصلوا So by loving the Ahlul Bayt do I make it as a means of nearness to Allah? And so that tawassal we will mention in the next lesson, inshallah ta'ala. 
And so today we are speaking of the shari love towards Ahlul Bayt. So it is balanced in between the exaggeration of the Rafidah Shia, and likewise of those who hate Ahlul, the, the, the Nasiba, the Nawasib. There are those who basically specify hatred towards the Ahlul Bayt, the Nawasib. There was a faction historically. And so we are not like them either. We are in the middle and we love Ahlul Bayt with a genuine, sincere, shari legislated love. We love, the, love them upon the love of Islam. Not as Ashkhas and whatever else, but as upon the love of Islam, upon the love of Iman, and whatever else follows on from that. And so therefore our love is balanced and within the Sharia limits. So with that we conclude our lesson today inshallah. We'll continue with the issue of Tawassal in the next lesson inshallah. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika shidu wa la ilahi 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 ilah